Tonight's message to close out our study of the book of Romans is called Eyes on the End Zone. The uh, entire theme for this entire series that we've gone on now for, what, maybe 16 weeks uh, has been God's playbook for righteousness. As I've said again and again, and I always want to keep in the forefront of your minds, this is the book of New Testament doctrine. It has everything that we need to know today in the church age of how to operate and yes, does the book of Hebrews uh, have application to our lives? Yes, but do we use the book of Hebrews to find New Testament church doctrine of how we ought to behave today? No, that is something that God is going to use doctrinally in the future. Romans is the systematic book that lines out everything from start to finish. And we've been covering this ad nauseum. And I decided to do a little something different with the introduction. Rather than give an intro for what we're going to cover tonight, I decided to recap all of these chapters. Uh, number one, to see how much you guys know. And a second point, which I'll give at the end here, but who remembers chapter one? What's the theme of that chapter? What was that chapter all about? What was that outline structure? The what? All those weeks of me doing it, it was just for nothing? Yep. Well, you were obvious. The... Gentiles. Thank you. The Gentiles are all under sin. You had to look for that, didn't you? I wrote it in my mouth. <laughs> hey, that's good. Hey, I'll take it. I'll take it. I just thought that key of learning was repetition, and that repetition is the key of learning. That's what I was taught. I was taught the key of learning was repetition. I was also taught that repeating things over and over again is the key to learning. But I guess the key to learning is not repetition. I thought that I was... This must be a joke. Chapter 2! My switch is broken, bro. Thank you! Not juice. I'm afraid that somebody heard Noah say juice. It is not juice. I'm afraid someone heard Noah say that. The Jews are all under sin. Chapter 2. We had covered that. Goodness almost three, four months ago now. And as a result of that, since there's only two people groups that everything break down to, Jews and Gentiles, consequently that means chapter 3, the world is all under sin. So we have a problem. Do we not? Do the people that you see in your hallways every single day have a problem? Yes, they are under the law of sin. They are still stuck to their flesh. They are doomed apart from a life with Christ. Does that concern you? It should. And systematically, Paul continues to work his way through because what good would a doctor be if he just gives you the problem and doesn't offer you the solution? Chapter 4 and chapter 5, that's where the solution lies. Chapter 4, we saw that righteousness comes by faith in Christ. By believing that He is, by believing that He is God in human flesh. And not only that, but in chapter 5, we saw that faith in Christ's blood alone declares us righteousness. He had to die. He was that sacrificial servant. He was that sacrificial lamb. He was the only one who could pay the price for our sin, not by our own works. Otherwise, why did He have to die? That's what Galatians 2.21 says. I'm not going to frustrate the grace of God. If righteousness comes by the law, i.e. my good works, then Christ is dead in vain. It was pointless and worthless for Him to die. He had to die because it was the only way that our sins could be forgiven. And once we come to that point of decision, once we receive the gift of His dear Son by faith, 
Then we get into this parts of the book where Christ is talking through Paul about what is your life like now? In chapter 6, we saw that we're the Christians what? Well, the next two words should be your context clues. If you're in Christ, that means you're placed somewhere. It's your position. Chapter 6 is all about the Christian's position in Christ. When God looks down upon you from heaven, He no longer sees your sinfulness. He no longer sees your righteousness as filthy rags, as Isaiah says. No, He sees you being in Christ. You are covered. You are forgiven. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and Colossians chapter 2 that you've been spiritually circumcised, that your soul has been cut loose from the body of this death so that now that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, when we die, His Spirit is going to take our soul and spirit to heaven because we're not tied or bound down to this body of death, this body of flesh anymore. But, practically speaking... We come to chapter 7 and we find the Christian still has a problem. And the problem is in the what? The flesh. Even though the power of this flesh is dead to us, it has no more sway over us, practically speaking, we can still let it have power again if we choose to. By whom do we yield our members as instruments to? And he talks about that. He talks about the way out of that. And the way out of that comes in chapter 8 with the Christian's power in the Spirit to overcome those things by recognizing key promises that God has given you in the Word of God. That if, great, that if He is in you, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And if God be for us, who can be against us? And I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor hell, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing should be able to separate us from the love of Christ. Do you believe those promises? Yes. If so, they should be affecting your day-to-day -day life. When you're confronted with the flesh in chapter 7 and this problem, it draws you back to remind you of who you are, who your identity is in Christ, and that you're in Him, the most secure place to be. Your eternity is secured. That's a good trifecta there, a good trilogy of chapters talking about the Christian. What happens to the Christian now that he has been redeemed and made righteous by faith and delivered from his sin. You see how it flows one into the next? It's like a building block or like a Lego. It's funny, I just built two humongous Lego things with Wyatt recently from Christmas. And it's just so detailed and structured and ordered. You have to follow the directions and one builds upon the other. If you forget one step, you're going to be screwed because you're not going to be able to complete it. You need to build one block upon the other in order to get the big picture. That's what Paul does here. And we saw in chapters 9, 10, and 11, we had the parenthesis, where he stops talking about the Christian and decides to talk about Israel. Chapter 9, Israel's past what? Election. Their past service, in other words. Served as a warning to us because of where they are presently in chapter 10. Israel's present rejection of Christ. But, but God, no matter how dark and how twisted things might seem at times, no matter how far away we might wander from Him, He's very gracious and merciful to receive us back again and to finish what He starts. And we saw that in chapter 11 with Israel's future resurrection. 
election, rejection, resurrection. See, when you put it in phrases like that, it's kind of easy to remember. But I went ahead and wrote it down for you guys anyways. And there's a reason for that. Chapter 12 began where we're kind of kind of end today. This is the most practical section of the entire book. It's been all doctrine up to chapter 12. And we see our dedication to God, which, as a reminder, since we're talking about the practicalities, he reminds us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, those who are in Christ, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And this is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How's that been going since we talked about that four weeks ago? Are you more like the world today than you were four weeks ago? Or are you more like Christ today than you were four weeks ago? These are questions we have to ask ourselves daily. You constantly need to be keeping yourself in check to see, am I letting my mind be more molded and shaped and formed by this world? Or am I letting it be transformed to a whole new plane, to a heavenly thinking, to a heavenly thought process in order to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? You want to know what God's plan is for your life specifically? Not the person to the left of you, not the person to the right of you. Your life specifically, not your parents' life, not your pastor's life, not your leader's life. You want to know what God's plan is for your life? There's the recipe. That's the only way you're able to prove it. Chapter 13, again, continuing with this, when we continue to let Christ live His life through us and we remain as dead vessels, we see we're to be subject to earthly authority. And last week we saw that our attention for the weaker brethren. Dedication, subjection, attention. Again, you think about those words, it'll help you to know what each chapter is about. Now, why put this on here? Why for week after week have I been just hammering you guys as far as the outline and the systematic structure in which this goes about? Well, as one of you already pointed out, as I'm sure some of you also have done, I strongly encourage you guys to go home, take these chapter outlines, and put them above your chapters inside of your Bible for the book of Romans. You know what you can do with that? Now that you at least know that that's the overall overarching theme of that chapter, you then can take that. And for those of you who have Bible studies or a part of Bible studies, or maybe you're not a part of a Bible study at your school, but you know of one that gets started, or maybe there's not one at your school, and you think, man, I might be able to start one. Here's a blueprint for you. Now, granted, you can't take an entire hour, <clears throat> hour and 15 in some cases, to go through the entire chapter for a Bible study. But you know what you do? You go based upon that chapter outline, and you look for the key verses that are in that chapter that best highlight, that best fit what this title of this chapter is all about, and you hammer those little points. And you find some way to make it applicable to the people that are in your group, that are in your school, that are in your homeschool group even. You can do this. It's not really that hard. And for those of you who may be a part of a Bible study group, but somebody else might lead it, you can go to that person and say, hey, you know what? I can help out because there's not really that much prep work. Read the chapter. You guys have the study sheet notes. Feel free to pull from any of this. I will resend them to you if you need it. And right here, you have the blueprint, the handbook, the playbook for God's standard and requirement for righteousness that you then can present to your entire class. Easy like that.
question is, will you? It doesn't have to be in that form. Maybe it's sitting down with somebody else and just going over a one-on-one -on -one Bible study with them and leading them to the Lord. It's right there for you because we want to make sure we have our eyes on the end zone of what matters, of reaching our goal. And that's why we're going to conclude tonight in Romans 15 and 16. And yes, we will do it. And no, it won't take that long. <clears throat> Romans 15. I'm going to try something. We're going to try something very different. And we'll see how, how this goes. It might fall completely flat. I just thought of it today. So there's about 25 of us in here. You guys all have a sheet of Romans 15, and you do have your Bibles with you. This sheet will come in handy here in a second, but I want to do something. We're just going to go around, and we're going to read the entire chapter of 15, and we're going to go around and just snake our way through. We'll start with Ben here, and we'll go around, and whenever we hit the last person, uh, I'll go ahead and read the remaining five verses. Sound good? Does everybody have their Bibles of Romans 15 now? Yeah. Or your sheet? Either or. All right. Ben, verse 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleaseth, pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Now the, now the God of patience and consolation, consolation, yep. grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Jesus. That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and laud him, all you people. And again, there shall be a root of justice, and that he shall rise, and that, yeah, and that he shall rise, showing over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believe, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, but with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God. That I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore whereof I may glory for Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me, to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. Through many signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and around about into my Christian, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. 
Yea, so I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ is named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. Hmm. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. For which cause also I have been hindered from coming to you. But now having no more peace in these parts, and having a great desire for these many years to come unto you. And so ever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution it hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I perform this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake... And for the love of the Spirit that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Man. You know, we're not anything special. We're just a bunch of sinners, and we love the Bible. There's, I'm not trying to pat ourselves on the back or anything like that, but, man, there's just something about that that struck me, um, how long that chapter is, and for us to give God and His Word the attention it deserves by reading every single word of that chapter. It's a long five minutes. But I even heard a testimony not too long ago of somebody who had been to another church or was visiting, and they're like, we don't open up our Bibles at all. And for us to open up God's Word and to give it the reverence that it deserves, I ask and pray that He would give His blessing tonight in this lesson because of that. Now, I did that for a particular reason, and I wanted to ask you guys. If you were in a lie detector test right now, or if Andy had his stun gun, his taser, pepper spray, and at point blank he was going to fire it at you, if you had to say, what on earth did we just read? What's the theme of this chapter? Please get it wrong. <laughs> Hypothetically, Andy. Oh. <laughs> what would you say? Yeah, it was a lot of reading. And I'll be honest. When I'm witnessing sharing the Romans road, nothing from this chapter comes up. And the way that we read it, it kind of reads like a final chapter, not a penultimate chapter. That means second to last, Andy. Not a, not a penultimate chapter of a, of a book. It seems like the final chapter. It seems like that's what he's concluding with. So let me ask you. If you had to summarize what this chapter is about, what would you say? Kendall. Maybe like letting God work through you. Okay. Heather. Being like-minded with your brethren. Okay. Like-minded with brethren. Anybody else? Hayden. 
minister unto those around you? Yeah. I want to try something. And again, even doing this still won't take too much time. We'll still end on a good note. The mazes still might need to leave for baseball. <laughs> Anybody know what this is up here on the board? Anybody seen this before? What's oh, a chart? Thank you. <laughs> you know what? Go ahead and go home early today. You you That's passed. Right, right. Got an A. Teach, teacher? Uh, teacher? Right. just with it's one line. Does that look like a T? Yeah. No, the next line. Anybody here speak Spanish? Oh. Yeah. Take Spanish class? Oh. Do teachers not still teach this? Yes, they do. No. Yes. Hannah, what is it? It's still like um, what the people were. So what's this? And what's this? First person, second person, third person. So, I, we, you, you. All right, let's fill this one out. They, them. Nope. <laughs> singular. Singular. <laughs> Thank you. They, them. I was right. Wow. Here's what I want you guys to do. And we're kind of getting somewhere with it. I want you guys in complete silence. This is not going to be a group activity like we usually do on Sundays. This is going to be just you in your chair. You have your sheet. I want you to take out your sheet and I want you to reread it on your own. It took us about five minutes to do that. It'll probably take you a little bit less. But here's the thing. Read it and try to find how many references you have not so much for the first person, singular or plural. Look at how many references somebody makes to the second person, singular and plural, or the third person, singular and plural. Now again, these are just, you know, the, the I don't know, I guess you'd say the title words. But look for things like one another. Look for proper names of places or people groups. And when you find those things, when you find those people, circle them. Circle them, highlight them. You have your pen, you have your writing utensil. Look for every mention of the word of somebody else that is not Paul. So no mention of himself, but other people. Second person, singular, plural. Third person, singular, plural. And just circle it. See what you get. Those of you listening on podcast, you don't need to fast forward. We're just going to... All right, and time. All right. So tell me what you found. 37. You got 37? I got 57. I know numbers are going to vary dramatically. Huh? That's you not even close. All right. Hey, seriously, one at a time. One at a time. What did you guys get? 51. You got 51? Heather? 86. I got 68. Katie? 51. 68. 99? Alex? One at a time. One at a time. What were you saying? 46. Okay. 
57. I should have been writing these down on the board. Are they using I and we? I said no I and we. Oh, are they using I? Wait, no, no, look. Maybe. Like I said, though. Like I said, there are other things like, there are other phrases like one another, or the name of a major city, or the name of a people group. So maybe you weren't counting that. Alright, alright. Hey, you guys can carry it on afterwards. Anybody else want to give their number that they got? So maybe now is a good time to tell you that I don't have the exact number. And it could technically be subjective when you think about it. But here's the point. How many, look at your sheet again. How many circles do you have that have to do with people? Where else have you seen, anywhere else in our study of the Book of Romans, this much attention given to people? To God's people? To people that need the gospel? One man directing the attention off of himself onto others? And as Hayden had said earlier, the idea of this being about ministering to people. We forget so quickly that that person we're ticked off at or the people that we don't care to be around or the reason why we don't feel like going when the mall ministry is available, if we actually are available, we just don't feel like it. The reasons that all of these things happen, the reason why you guys are in the school system that you are, the reason why you were born in this area, the reason why you gather at church, it has everything to do with people. People are the apple of God's eye. People are the bride of Christ. People are the object of His love. People are why He came and was willing to be put into a filthy, stinking manger that animals use as a feeding trough. People are the reason why he allowed himself to be handed by people who smacked him and spat on him, by people who whipped him, by people who mocked him, by people who put nails nine inches long through his palms into a piece of wood, why someone would drive a spike nine inches long into both of his feet, crushing bone, piercing skin, gushing blood. People are the reason why he allowed them to put a crown of thorns in mockery, piercing into his flesh and into his scalpel, or his scalp and his temple. People are the reason why he rose again from the grave to give them the victory that they had no hope for otherwise. People are the reason why he ends this book the way that he does. If there is nothing else you gather from this chapter, because honestly, as I was studying it out this week, I couldn't tell you one verse. Before I read it, before I studied it out, I couldn't tell you one verse from this chapter that I knew of until I reread it. And I saw all those circles that were in my chapter from a while back when God first impressed this upon me. Just how much God loves and cares for people. That's right. They're the end zone. 
everything we've learned about the playbook of righteousness from this book, all of the doctrine, all of the major teachings, everything about what it means to be saved, everything that mankind needs to do, needs to do in order to be right with God, that's the goal line. Everything we've studied is for naught unless we don't take the ball and drive. You want a chapter outline for Romans 15? Look at point one. Paul's faithfulness and future in ministry. And it has everything to do with people. Letter A, his faithfulness to practice what he preached. Don't worry, we're not going to go through the chapter a third time, but just some key highlights. He says in verse 1, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. He's following along with what we just saw last week in chapter 14. But note how verse 1 ends. That we're to do this and not to please ourselves. In other words, it's not all about our comfort. It's not all about what all we want to do, but others. If there's a brother or sister in need, even though we would really like a Saturday off, even though we would really like to sleep in on the weekend, if there's a brother in need, we need to be there for them. And we need to bear their infirmities with them. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good edification. Oh, and what an example we have right there in verse 3. For even Christ pleased not himself. I even remember there's a story in the Gospels. I can't remember which passage it is. I think it's Mark. But Christ, he just gets done and he's exhausted and he's trying to rest and he's trying to relax. And there's a Samaritan woman who comes up to him and is pleading with him for, I believe it was either a son or daughter, I think it was a son that was sick. And he basically said, he's like, woman, go away. It's my time to rest. And because of her persistence and her faithfulness, he answered her prayer. Even though he was tired, even though he wanted some me time, even Christ pleased not himself, because the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on him. Let this mind be in, which was also in Christ Jesus. Point one, it's a reminder from people or from chapter 14 of how important people are to the ministry for the glory of Christ. For God so loved the world, John 3:16. Jesus Christ came to die for the world, 1 Timothy 2, 4, and to give his life a ransom for all, verse 6, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 John 2, 2, who is a propitiation, the satisfactory payment for our sins, Christian, and not just for our sins, Christian, but for the sins of the whole world, which means that Christ didn't just die for the Christians, he died for everybody. It's a reminder of how important people are to him. Point two, we saw that Paul was focused and faithful to occupy the land that God had given him with passion. You can check it out again later, but just jump uh, for all the other verses, but jump down specifically to verse uh, 16. Or verse 15, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will dare not speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me. He had boundaries. 
He wasn't going to go do his own thing. He wasn't going to go start his own ministry unless it was God telling him to go there. He wasn't going to say his own little personal hobby horse thing that he wanted to get through just to stick it to them, which many pastors do in churches today. That's why it's always safe just to go with what the Bible actually says, that way you don't hobby horse your own thing in there. No, he was under control of the Spirit of God, and he went where the, God, where the Spirit of God wanted him to go. Through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout unto Elikram, and I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Can you say that? Can you have the heartbeat of Paul in Acts chapter 20 when he said that I have declared, I have not shunned to declare unto you the full counsel of God. Can you say that with assurance to your classmates? Those that are in your sphere of influence that you preached, you fully preached the gospel of Christ to them? Not just in lifestyle, although that is definitely most important. Which, by the way, if you try preaching the gospel to them and your lifestyle does not match your message, you're going to be a castaway, as Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 9. means they're going to cast away you and your message because they're going to see that it's hypocritical and they want nothing to do with it. Paul says, so have I strived. He had passion in verse 20 to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build up another man's foundation. So where's your land? He had his land. He had his role. He had his mission. It was to the Gentiles. Where's yours? Obviously, it's to your schools. But let's get more narrow than that. Your classes. The people that are surrounding where you sit at your desk. The people whose locker is on either side of yours. That's your land. Do you have a passion for your land? Do you have a passion to take the righteousness of Christ to the end, end zone? Because see, he was focused and faithful to occupy the land that God had given him with passion. Acts chapter 9 verse 15 the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. Speaking, oh goodness, who was it that led him to, or that uh, helped him? Not Cornelius, that's chapter 10. After Paul got blinded, who helped him? Not Apollos. Not Priscilla. Does anybody know? I just completely drew a blank. Darren? Ananias. Ananias. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, Ananias. Thank you. There's one blank there. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way to Ananias, for he, Paul, is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of God. Do you ever stop and think about that? I kind of alluded to it earlier. Do you ever stop and think of the reason why you were born into the family you were born into? Adopted into the family you were adopted into? Going to the school district in the school district that you go to? a part of this church ministry? You think it was part of God's plan from forever long ago? That He's like, man, I'm going to present my son to them. They're going to have a choice to receive me. And when they do, man, do I have a plan for their life? It's not going to be easy. But I have a field that I want to give them. I have land that I want them to conquer for me. Are you fulfilling your mission with passion? Are you vehemently possessing what God has given you where He's placed you? 
half a year down. For some of you in here, it's the last half of the year left. For others of you in here, half a year down since you made a commitment that you were going to see things differently, that you were going to have more passion and more vision when you go to your field. So how you doing? find it fitting that we just ended How to Study the Bible on Sunday with a focus on people. Really, actually, a focus on God's Word and its effect on us to mature us. And now we're ending Romans tonight talking about as this book is maturing us, how we are to then take it to people, the apple of God's eye, the people for whom He died for. Both ending leading us right into winter camp. Right into the second half of the year. I can't plan that. I didn't plan on taking two weeks on Romans chapter 8. I didn't plan on taking two weeks on uh, the hard attitude factor of how to study the Bible. So what's God speaking to you right now? Because I have a feeling... That whatever it is he's speaking to you about is things that he has been speaking to you about for a while now. And I have a feeling he's going to keep speaking those things to you next week at winter camp. So letter B. After we saw his faithfulness to practice what he preached and how he did it faithfully, now we see his future travels to fulfill his mission. Point one, he desires to be around fellow believers and those for whom he labored over. Ugh. I so want to check out 1 Thessalonians 2, but we don't have the time. Plus, the mazes have to get going. But you guys can check out 1 Thessalonians 2 later. You know what Paul said, man? When they first brought the gospel to those in Thessalonica, those people received it with such warmth, with such embrace, with such passion. They received the gospel. And Paul said, man, I can't wait to be around you guys again. I can't wait till the time I get to see you next. Do you feel the same way about the people in this room? Do you feel this way more passionately about the people in this room than you do your school friends? Even tougher question. Because you might be fond of the people in this room. But I'll tell you what. I didn't look at Wednesday nights as an addendum to church. You know what I mean by that? Like it's optional. For me, Wednesday night was church. Something changed when I graduated where Wednesday nights kind of became optional. And there may even be a couple of college and career singles that have recently graduated. Maybe. Don't know. I just am speaking from history. History. Uh, historical. History. <laughs> speaking from historical knowledge that that tends to happen. Where college gets so busy, Wednesday nights just become optional. And then you need some downtime. You need some me time. You need times to, to please yourself, like we just saw in Romans 15. And so Saturday night's your time where you can just rest and get away from college. And then you're up too late the night before. And then Sunday school becomes optional for you. And then, since Wednesday nights are optional and Sunday school is optional, uh, I'll just check out the live stream or I'll catch main service next week. Yeah. The only fruit I ever saw in my entire high school ministry of me reaching out in Perry, it's exactly what happened to them. 
And the two years that they were part of this youth group, they were on fire. Go off to college. Not saying that college does it, but it's a change of priorities. Change of priorities where things that are needed now in high school, when they were needed for me in high school, again, even for me, it became easy for that to be eh, optional. I'll check it out next week. Don't let that happen. Please. Desire to be around fellow believers and those whom you labor with. Point two. Because even the greatest Christian who ever lived, Paul, he earnestly desired prayers from his brothers and sisters in Christ. Look again at verse 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together, strive, fight together with me in your prayers to God for me. Do you need help? I do. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so then. Let's chat it up. Let's talk to one another. If not in the group me, then let's text one or two other people that you know are accountability partners that will keep you accountable with whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is you just need prayer for. And ask them for help. We need each other. We need help. Oh, that's Romans 15. Romans 16, point number two. You want the outline for chapter 16? <laughs> Very simple. His eyes are on the end zone. It's the same thing. It's all about Paul's friends in the ministry. The last two chapters, all about people, the object of God's love. In letter A, he that hath friends must show himself friendly. Look at me in verse 1. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is at Centria, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of for you. For she hath been a succourer or a helper of many and of myself also. This may not be in all of your Bibles, and it's okay if not. But do you guys have in your Bibles at the very end of chapter 16, there's a little kind of like P.S. note it's in smaller font. It's right after verse 27. Do you guys have that little note in there? It's not necessarily a part of Scripture per se. It's more th it's something that, you know, I guess, uh, well, not newer Bibles. This isn't that old. Certain manufacturers or certain Bible publishers, they do things differently. But here's something that actually showed up in the manuscripts that the King James translators for certain Bible publishers decided to put in. Just as kind of like a little P.S., Here's what it says. Written to the Romans from Corinthus, Corinthus, Corinth, and sent by Phoebe, servant of the church at Centria. <laughs> you and I wouldn't have the book of Romans if it wasn't for this girl that's listed here in Romans 16, 1 and 2. Two verses in the entire Bible. And she hand-delivered the most important letter in all of the New Testament. You think you're insignificant? You think that you can't make a difference? This girl's name is forever in God's book. Because she was faithful to do a small little service project of taking a letter to a church. 
You matter greatly. You are needed greatly. All of you. He says, Priscilla and Aquila, we talked about them in the summertime. Verse 3, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks unto whom not only I give thanks, but also unto the churches of the Gentiles. They show up again throughout Scripture. And not only that, verse 5 says that they had a church in their house. Likewise, greet that church. Salute my well-beloved Eponetus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who were also in Christ before me. They were saved before Paul even was. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ. And Stachus, my beloved. Salute Apellus, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Which means this mother must have been very important to Paul. It's Rufus' mom, but he counted her as his own. A godly woman. Salute Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philogius and Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. If you're going to keep your eye on the end zone, point one, you need godly friends. Every single one of you guys should memorize these verses and then act it out. Do it. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loveth at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Do you have one in this room? Do you have one? Do you have two? A man that hath friends, 1824, must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, none other than Christ himself. But you can be that friend too to somebody else. Proverbs 27, 6 and 17, faithful the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Not going to have true godly friends without some sparks. Mm -hmm. That's what happens when iron sharpens iron. But I would rather take those faithful wounds as opposed to the kisses of an enemy who just tells me whatever I want to hear to make me feel good about the sin or the things that I'm entertaining that it will lead me down to sin. That's a faithful friend, as opposed to unfaithful friends. Proverbs 16, 28, A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer, talebearer, gossiper, separateth chief friends. He that covereth the transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. We all make mistakes. At some point or another, we're going to burn each other. You better do your utmost to make sure you don't do it again, though. Because it will destroy friendships. Seen it happen. And if you're the one being burned, be as gracious as possible. See how really everything we've covered since chapter 12, it's all centered around this? Remember that long list of verses we saw in chapter 12 that if you live as a dead man and let Christ live his life through you, that you'll be able to, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men? That you'll be given the hospitality 
That, you know, those who do you wrong, you'll just heap coals upon them when you treat them mercifully and kindly. And chapter 13, talking about our relationships with people, subjection to the government and other authorities in our life. And then chapter 14, looking out for the weaker brethren and making sure that we're caring and giving attention to them. It's all been about people since chapter 12. It's the most practical section of the book of Romans. This is huge. Not only that, if we had time, I'd have you guys reread chapter 16 and count how many people are listed here. But for the sake of time, point two, there are 35 people and their families mentioned by name here in the entire chapter. We only read up to verse 16. And to keep going, nine are mentioned again elsewhere in the Bible. So which are you? Hey, praise God, their names are in the Bible. But some of them are mentioned more than just once. You know, 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul is letting us know that uh, there are people who left him, left the work of the Lord, and forsook him in love of this present world. Don't be those people. Be the people who are going to be faithful to the end. And letter B, a final all-important warning to be heeded. Look with me in verse 17. Right at the end, right at the end. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses. Oh, so people who are just troublemakers, people who cause drama? No, here it is. Cause divisions and offenses contrary to the what? Or the teaching which ye have learned, context, the previous 16 chapters, the playbook of righteousness for the entire New Testament of how we're to conduct ourselves at church, what we're supposed to believe, those who cause divisions and offenses, mark them and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good works and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience, that's why you need to grow and be discipled, so that you're not simple and deceived. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, in your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. In other words, kind of like I would mentioned a couple weeks ago, you don't need to spend all this time studying counterfeits. It helps to study all these false doctrines and false religions and what your neighbor's faith believes. It's good. It's helpful to learn those things. But like we just heard on, on Sunday in Pastor Tom's message, don't be drunk with this stuff. Don't let it consume your thoughts. Be sober. Be grave with it. He goes, I'd rather you just study the real thing. Just study my word and know that and you'll be fine. And the God of peace, verse 20, shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Point one, we are constantly to be on guard against false doctrine creeping its way into our midst. It's the last warning Paul gave in person to those in Ephesus, the Ephesian church of Acts chapter 20. For three years, he warned them, saying, false doctrine is going to creep in. You guys got to be on guard. You have to watch this stuff. You have to watch the junk that gets taught in your schools. You have to watch the junk that you're putting in front of your face and thinking that it's information that's going to help you. It might just lead you completely astray to believing some whacked out stuff. Be on guard. Lastly, 
And, you know, 2 Timothy 3, 5, he says, uh, you know, have they, these people, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And from such, those people, you turn away. Point two. Well, let's just finish by reading the, the passage. He goes back to more people. Timotheus, my fellow worker, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsmen, salute you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. How about that? This guy. He's the one who actually penned this entire letter we've been studying for the last 16 weeks. Paul, because of other places in 2 Corinthians where it talks about this infirmity in the flesh that he has, Paul wasn't even the one who wrote this. He was dictating it to somebody else who actually penned it. Here's the guy's name. You think what you do doesn't matter? Even if it's the smallest thing, the smallest detail, you're needed. You're valuable to the Lord. Gaius, mine host, and the whole church saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. And Cordus, a brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, because God doesn't want truth hid. He wants it out in the end zone for all to see, which was kept secret since the world began. But now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations, and don't miss this, he made it known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Point two, we are called to be obedient to the faith. Faith involves people hearing from God's Word. Isn't that what chapter 10, verse 17 says? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word. So therefore, press toward the goal line with your righteousness in Christ. Keep your eye on the end zone, Philippians 3.13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. The end zone, the goal line. Getting the Word of God into the hands of people. That's it. Getting what you studied the last 16 weeks into others' hands at your schools, your families. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That word press means exactly what you think it would. Think of a wrestler in a wrestling match. Think of a, a running back pressing through the line. Think of a fighter. That word press actually means it implies violence. There should be a violent passion. You should be pressing against all of the winds of doctrine and all of the ways of this world system and how everybody thinks and what everybody wants to do, how it's pressing against you and coming against you daily. You need to press back. Press back and take the ball to the end zone. This is what matters. This is it. This is how he ends and capitalizes on the playbook for righteousness. It's the most practical aspect of this book. So what will you do? Let's pray. Father, I do thank you very much. Again, just I don't think it's any coincidence, just the events that have occurred today in our communities, um, that you would press this upon us. Lord, we don't know what a day is going to bring. We don't know if today's the last chance we'll have to have an impact on someone's eternity. 
So I ask that we would be faithful to just simply hear from you in your book and do what you've asked us to do. And may you be glorified, may you be pleased. Again, I pray just for an amazing winter camp that you would continue to speak to the things you're speaking to everybody right now in the quiet of their seats and that they would come to knowledge of what it is you have for them to do, what the full will of God is, the perfect will of God is for their lives. We ask and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.